Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello we also have bill graham Woo! all right we are listening to the smooth sounds of jerry rafferty's baker street as a testament to the film that we're doing today if beale street could talk before we get into our review, the usual stuff, find us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, The Filmstage Show, email us podcast at filmstage.com, go on iTunes, give us a comment and rating, and of course, you can become a patron of this show by going to patreon.com slash The Filmstage Show. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super secret Slack channel. You also get entered into raffles for movie-related stuff. We've recently given away copies of Widows and Burning on Blu-ray, so uh, check it out. Also, if you've been enjoying our classic reviews, those are brought to you by our patron members as well. So if you're digging those and you want more, go to patreon.com slash show. And if you're worried that there's not a Denzel Washington movie, you are not at, at the wrong podcast. We're just taking a break from <laughs> Denzel movies. I'm sure we will be back to him. <laughs> At some point, we're going to do Man on Fire and uh, Courage Under Fire. At every fire movie. Why not? All of the fire movies. Uh, <laughs> Free Fire. Oh, fire no. Fire Starter. No. <laughs> Firefox. Did you ever see that? The Clint no. Eastwood fighter jet movie? Oh, well, I am sold. Just no, are, you shouldn't be. <laughs> those are two things that I can't wait to see together. That's the chocolate and peanut butter of my soul. Um, so <laughs> that's not true. Chocolate and peanut butter are the chocolate and peanut butter of my soul. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we're here to talk if Beale Street could talk, uh, the newest film by Barry Jenkins. Before we get into that, a special word from our sponsor. It's Movie, the online streaming cinema. Every day, their curious curators give you a brand new film to enjoy for thirty days. That means you constantly have a rotating selection of 30 films to check out um what have we got going on now on movie christian petzold yeah i was gonna say there what is an auteur series continues this time with christian petzold who's got a movie that we're going to be reviewing later on this month we've Transit. got yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i was gonna leave that as like a surprise i don't know that it's that great a surprise because anyone could look it up um <laughs> You've got Phoenix on there, a movie that we covered on this podcast. That is the movie of the day today. And you've also got Barbara. Same um, actress, I believe, actually. I believe so, yes. Yeah. I just realized this because I've just been like every time one of these movies pops up, I'm like, well, I got to highlight this. It's the by NWR series that they have going on. Uh, Nicholas Wending Refn has a like streaming service that he's going to be launching 
and and Mubi is helping to highlight some of the films that his like group has like rescued. So some of these things are super weird and interesting to check out. Like they're finding like old prints of like old grindhouse films in like closed photo labs and like piecing them together from private prints. And they're almost all like crazy nutso nonsense films that like are not the types of things that usually get saved. So for instance, you have 28 days from the day of recording to watch the maidens of fetish street. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. It's uh, described as a one of a kind experimental grindhouse film is a series of kinky vignettes centered around lonely wandering soul purportedly set in 1928 Los Angeles that seems curiously infused with 1960s S&M iconography. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's also Satan in High Heels, which is yes. a damn good Which name. I know I highlighted previously, because that is a name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a bunch of great stuff, uh, including the continuing adventures of their What is an Auteur series, uh, which also has Matthew Almeric, who curiously also has a movie named Barbara. So <laughs> check out the Barbaras. And, of course, all of this can be yours with a free 30-day trial if you go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, that brings us to the end of all the front matter. So now we can get into our feature review. This movie is one that we were looking forward to covering at some point. But our listeners who voted and wrote in for our stages, the Film Stage Show Awards, forced our hand, so we definitely got to do it now. That is, If Beale Street Could Talk, the newest Oh, did, don't you mean Mandy? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Christ, we've got to shut this down. We've got to go. <laughs> got to talk about Mandy again. Uh, listen to the full two hours and 13 minutes of our drunken Film Stage Show Awards to understand that in-joke. This is If Beale Street Could Talk, the newest film from writer-director Barry Jenkins, who previously gave us Moonlight. And here is the trailer. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you. No matter what happens. I'm yours in your mind and that's it. With me all the time. Honey, there's something I gotta tell you. We are drinking to new life. Tish gonna have Fani's baby. Alright, that is a clip from the trailer of If Beale Street Could Talk. The movie, based on a novel by James Baldwin, follows Tish Rivers, whose boyfriend, Fonnie Hunt, is in jail as Tish discovers that she is pregnant and her family attempts to prove that Fonnie is innocent of the crime of which he is accused. Gentlemen, if Beale Street could talk, would you want to listen? Michael Snydell, your encapsulated thoughts on this movie. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, Barry Jenkins is someone who I, I've had an odd relationship with. His first film, first film uh, Medicine for Melancholy, uh, was something that I, I, I thought was interesting, but also incredibly awkward. And uh, Moonlight, I infamously 
uh, didn't didn't particularly like um, until a second viewing. And I, I think what was so I, I mentioned both of those in the sense that what what was so difficult for me about Moonlight was the kind of intentional blankness that has to do with those characters. And it, it's partly why so many people uh, have found such a, a deep, deep connection uh, with that film, especially um, queer folks who, you know, found something uh really moving and empathetic in, in the way in the ways that it dealt with uh, being in the closet. Um, and, and on a second viewing, I, I definitely had a different experience with that film. But I, I think those are worth mentioning in part because if Beale Street Could Talk is uh, is almost the opposite in, in the sense that if if Moonlight was all about interiority and the things that we would like to be as opposed to what we are uh, – Beale Street is reveling in the moment, in the present, in everything that is real and the euphoria that comes with every second, even if it's not fair. Uh, so, And, you know, the urgency of Baldwin's words combined with the soundtrack, which, god damn it, it should have won an Oscar. Um, and the cinematography, which has that that uh, art house affectation that we associate with Moonlight, but not necessarily that same uh, that, that that same difficulty. Like there's just uh, there's such uh, incredible generosity to this film. And uh, if you can't tell, I I like another movie. I, I think that this movie is incredible. And I think that there are a few performances that are bizarre choices, but uh, nonetheless, I, I can't get past how much this film feels like a prayer of solidarity, how much it feels sacred, and how much, uh, even despite those things and its optimism, how much it's unwilling to give an easy answer about any of the hard questions. All right, Bill Graham. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I think the score is absolutely fantastic. I think the um, main family scene is still one of the most impactful moments of all of cinema of 2018. Um, And I think this film isn't quite what I was expecting it to be. Um, That being said, I think there's a lot to unpack here and it's it's going to be a fruitful discussion because there's like Michael was saying there just aren't a lot of easy answers in this film and I appreciate it for that fact. Um I think the acting is across the board fantastic. I was surprised by how many faces I recognize in this cast. Um and yeah, there's I a just, lot of Game of Thrones people. In this there show. are. <laughs> okay, I'm glad someone else was like, huh? huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave Franco shows up. I mean, it. It's, Ed Scream uh, from uh, Alita: Battle Angel is in this. Uh huh. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Screen is is from um, Game of Thrones as well. So he was he was the first. Uh, why can't I remember his name? The the first uh, Screwface probably. <laughs> that's not his name. Uh, he was he was the first of these characters that uh, uh, 
the princess falls in love with. Uh, anyways. Oh, Dario uh, Naharis. Yeah, Dario That's Naharis. right. He gets replaced. This is an off-topic yes. thing, but he gets replaced <laughs> oh, by the guy no. who plays the Dutch dude in Treme. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, who is a much does. better actor than him. He's yeah. a much better actor, but he does not look anything like him. And he's also just, like, he just doesn't have the air of... of He's he's less sexy. You can say it, though. Uh, no, no, no. It, <laughs> I think he's actually not, infinitely more attractive. Ed Screen, I, I, I do not find to be an attractive man. It, it's it's Ed Screen with that long hair and in in that makeup and everything like that. He looks exotic, and I hate this. Uh, like I hate ugh, like that hate. that word sounds gross, but like sure. that's what he looks <laughs> like. And so, like, he looks like someone that is Dario Naharis. Yeah, he's he looks like someone that would be Dario Naharis, and the other guy just looks like a a gruff like soldier dude. No, wait a second. Have you read have you have you read Game of Thrones to be like Mm -hmm. I know what Dario Naharis should be, or do you just feel like that name deserves Ed Screen? No, no, no. Yeah, I've I've read the books for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's he's a very fanciful person. So (laughs) fanciful. Yes. Fanciful um, Dario Naharis. The, uh, <laughs> the, the actor who replaced him is Michael Hoosman, who I remember. Yes. Really yeah, from uh, Haunting of Hill House. And Treme. Oh. And Treme. Okay. And, and yeah. Treme. I'm yes. sorry, but like, you know, if I'm bringing up Treme, you better let me talk about Treme. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyways, this was Beale the uh, Game, of, yeah, the Game <laughs> of Thrones sidecast. Um, sorry, Bill. <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, it's, it's all good. Um, I I was wondering who that was, and I was like, this guy's fucking familiar, this police officer. Um, but yeah, no, I I think there's a lot to talk here. Um, I think like I, like I mentioned, uh, I think that main sequence is is just a flat out phenomenal. Um, the movie could be a short, as far as I'm concerned, and just contain that sequence um, and everything leading up to it, and I think it would. I'd be like, all right let me let me get another hour and a half of that you know um so yeah i i enjoyed this but i i wasn't quite as enamored with it as as i was hoping to be um especially coming off of moonlight so yeah i was gonna ask does this score above or below moonlight for you i'm 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 still not sure i think i think this is it's right in the middle um i'm not sure whether to put it above or below at this point so it's significantly above for me I am. I think it's significantly above for me as well. I'm going to say something crazy. I didn't like this movie, but I think it is a fantastic movie. Okay. Does that uh, that may not make sense up front, but I mean that's Blade Runner for me, Brian. Oh, okay, great. So this is my Blade Runner. (laughs) Um, so 2049, Mike? No, the original. Oh, okay. No, because we all know Mike unequivocally loves Blade Runner 2049. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's fine cells um so yeah if Beale Street could talk this movie is i'm gonna just run through what this movie reminds me of it reminds me of to the wonder it reminds me of arrival it reminds me of like a lot of movies that i love and i think that the issue that i'm having with it is it is way too good at everything that it is trying to do and I find a lot of those things that it is good at to be deeply uncomfortable to witness. Hmm. Um, this is, and there, I think I may just have a thing about characters looking into cameras. Cause like Jonathan Demi <laughs> movies freak me out a little bit. Like yeah, I can't okay. rewatch, um, Manchurian candidate. 
Okay. Um, because it, like when when Jeffrey Wright is like talking into the camera, it weirds me out in a way I don't like. Wait, can we do that movie? That movie's really underrated. <laughs> <laughs> On our next classic right, Denzel Washington episode. It's <laughs> um, a good movie. For it is. it's a great it's a great movie, and I will have to watch it, and uh, I'll I'll be able to talk more about how I don't like people looking directly into the camera. I think that this movie is trying to do a couple things, and. One of the things it's trying to do is sell you, in retrospect, on this romance that developed between these two people, uh, Fani and Tish. And I think that it does a, a very good job of that in the kind of sweeping, beautiful, saturated color, melodramatic way that, like, uh, a Douglas Sirk movie would do, you know? He's way less cynical than Cirque, though. I, yes. I would, I would very, I was going to mention Cirque, but I'm just saying he's less of a cynic. That's the one thing I'd say. And I don't like Douglas Cirque, even in spite of his, or because, even with his cynicism, I can't, I can't get on board. Oh, I fucking love Cirque, <laughs> and I have the same issues here. Like, you know, I like, I, I have an issue. With when like, you know, we've talked on this podcast about how like I went through a period where I was like every one of my friends psychoanalysis person and like I had I couldn't look them in the eyes when they were doing it. People who look into my eyes freak me the fuck out. And I find that level of like connection with with someone who's like not my specific romantic partner to be terrifying and off putting and it puts me in a position of like vulnerability and empathy that I really don't like. I need a certain amount of remove. And so all of the longing looks into the camera <laughs> from Kiki Lane, who anchors this movie beautifully, and uh, Stephen James, who just like is amazing in this movie. And their chemistry is like incendiary but also like sugar sweet confection like it, it would be easy to look at this movie and be like these two like starry-eyed dreamers who don't have a sense of reality but like you really feel like their love is like making them feel that way but every time that they're looking into the camera or every time that the camera is lingering on them from like the POV of someone else or uh, one of them it it just like <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like being given that much. I wanted to like, it's like if I'm on the subway and the people next to me are clearly in love, like I back <laughs> up a couple paces to like give them some space because I don't feel like I should be that close to them. Hmm. You know, did you avert your eyes? I'm, I'm curious. I got close um, <laughs> during, during the first of their, their lovemaking scenes. Sure. Um, <laughs> i don't usually dig sex scenes in general which makes uh talking about game of thrones hilarious because <laughs> that is nothing but tits and dragons um but nothing so, sexy in that. that that is a difference i would say what is in, in game of thrones nothing feels uh, actively sexy without i mean without like a male or female gaze like it feels like the camera wants to make these things sexy but game of i thrones. really You'll goes like, from like cheesecake to full on pornography to like dark horrible violence in their sex scenes. Like, but is it erotic? Would you ever? Would you call anything in Game of Thrones erotic? I find it 
I don't I don't know because eroticism for me is like does it turn you on and I don't usually get that from <laughs> from movies or television shows uh, podcasts however holy crap um, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> clearly a joke um, so like yeah I I think um I think that I maybe I'm dead inside I think the swooning romanticism in this movie is really good like I think that this movie. You know, more so than almost any other romance movie that we've ever talked about, really gets to the heart and soul of what it feels like to be in love. And it does it so well that I became uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and I just found, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous criticism to have of a movie that it makes you feel like you're too close. Not, not really. Well, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and I thought about it because I'm like, you know, Terrence Malick like does shit like this all the time. And the reason that I chose To the Wonder is because, like, the, you know, even though those relationships grow, you know, coarse at some point, like uh, Ben Affleck and Olga Kurylenko, a name that I probably just destroyed, um, like they have those moments together and they have that kind of like swooning love. And, and uh, even Rachel McAdams also has some of that. And it's, it was hard for me to watch that movie too, but there was so much hmm. else going on. And, you know, Manuel Lubegsky's camera, like can't stand still. And so like, I knew that even if I was watching two people embracing and being like awkwardly, unselfconsciously in love that pretty soon I was going to get to see a tree and like have an out. Um, <laughs> and this movie like doesn't give you that. And so, no. so, you know, scenes like the, the vignettes of her dealing with her pregnancy, I found great. The, the scene that Bill talked about where like the families meet to share this news. That was a goddamn oh my house. God. Like, yeah. And I, 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 that, that is a scene with a lot of, a lot of the things that I'm talking about with the scenes between Fonny and uh, Tish in terms of like, you know, really open emotions and melodrama. But the I think that legitimately like the camera standing back a little and everything that's going on, even though it was still a hard scene to watch, it was not hard to take in or get through because it was uh, everything that's happening in the present tense is a little less imbued with that sense of like romantic memory hmm. and so even though that scene contains so much so much more like violence and emotion than almost anything else it was easier to get through that than it was to get through a lot of the other stuff um and how'd you do with day, that brian tyree henry scene um that that was fine i i liked that scene i mean here's okay. the thing well because he's not looking at the camera too much <laughs> he wasn't looking at the camera too much um you know even that, i mean but there were there were even moments like that like when he when when uh stephen james and brian tyree henry first come through the door sure. and it's like slow motion and they're smiling it it was just again like and the the score of this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything so like this is gonna sound like a very like hardcore kind of insult but i i hope that no one takes it that way there has become a trend in artisanal cupcakes in urban environments (laughs) bear with me 
<laughs> no, I love it. Keep going, where, please. <laughs> so a cupcake is cake with icing on it. It is literally a cake that's in a cup. And the, the virtue of a cupcake is that it forces you to only have one because unlike a cake where you can get way too big a slice, a cupcake is finite, right? And so <laughs> you can have some cake and eat legitimately half a cake. But when you get a cupcake, it's just a cupcake. Now, what's happened recently, and by recently I mean like the last decade or so, is you'll go to a place and the icing on the cupcake is like three inches tall. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot to deal with. Like, you don't know how to bite into it. When you finally do, you're like, holy shit, this is way too much sugar. Like, this is good flavor, but it's too much and I'm overpowered. And then, oddly enough, last week, my company bought cupcakes for all of us. And someone had said, what you got to do is you got to break off the bottom. Yep, yep, yep. Turn it into you a sandwich. sandwich that, yeah. yep, you got to Oreo, sh- Oreo that shit. <laughs> well, Bill, here's the wrinkle, the Shyamalan-esque twist. I did that. And this cupcake had a layer of liquid chocolate in the middle of it. No, they're ruining it. People in my office are chowing on these cupcakes. And they're like, oh, these cupcakes, these cupcakes are so good. And I'm sitting there having put my cupcake back together after I opened it and found the Trojan horse of melted chocolate in it. (laughs) And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I should love this, but I can't. Like, I just like there's too much and I'm not going to have the space necessary to actually enjoy this because it's all just going to come at me at once. And that's a lot of what I felt <laughs> in this movie. Now, well, that, that is that is a good point because I've never seen one seen anyone like cut a cupcake in half or mm-hmm. anything like that. Like, like you, you don't use silverware with a cupcake, right? No, you peel and off so, the wrapper and you shove it in your mouth. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, that's it's a lot to take in if you can't basically you know open your mouth wide enough to get that sucker inside on that first bite otherwise right. it's just like or, do i eat or this you sideways can be happy getting like messy and maybe that's part of the fun of it sure. but like for yeah, me a cupcake is definitely a holdover from being a kid for sure because it's just like oh you unwrap it and then like crumbs go everywhere and as an adult you're like I got to pick all that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on your desk at work because you're like, this oh, is yeah. how we get ants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Lana! <laughs> so that's, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like this movie has so much good in it. And there, I mean, this movie has like a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like clearly people love this movie. And I would never tell anyone that they are wrong to do so. You know, not that I would usually do it with any movie, but like, especially this one, like, I don't think I could ever argue against any of this movie's many, many virtues. I think that there is something intrinsic in my personality that makes it so that, like, the truth and the beauty of this movie and its performances and its direction and its cinematography and its score, which is probably, like, the the top inch of icing that ices this already iced cupcake, is just, like, way too much for me. And it's... I don't know, like, if I had, like, if I were told, like, you have to go and, like, see this movie and review it, I would come back and plead to have someone else write the review, because I legitimately don't know what kind of letter grade I would give it. Like, 
it, it's, it's funny. It it sounds it sounds almost to to use one of your metaphors. Thank it you. sounds like someone gave you a small bite of this cake and it was the best thing you've ever had. And now you look at the cake and you're like, get that the <laughs> fuck away from me. I will eat that entire thing right now if you don't get it away from me. And it will make me sick. That's the thing. Yes. Like, and uh, so like <laughs> the movie opens with this. Oh, like the the yellows, you know, Swirling. the yellows, yeah. the yellows will haunt my dream. And the music is going and I legitimately paused the movie 30 seconds in to be like, did Max Richter do the score for this? Because it sounds like on the nature of daylight, but it is Nicholas Bertel, who is fantastic. And uh, returning cinematographer James Laxton is just like, just oh, like buttery confectionary hues and vice last year <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like like just so i'm 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 watching i'm like this is a very good opening to a movie like this is putting me in the mood of the romance i'm feeling the love and then it like and then she says like i hope that no one ever has to look at the person they love through glass and then it cuts to them you know in jail having their meeting and I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like, this is great. Like, I, I, we had our moment of like the romance to get us up to this point. And then it just kept going back into those kind of things. And I just like, I just couldn't deal with it. Like, I just couldn't handle it. Like the, the slow walking with the holding the hands and the looking at each other. And I was just like, I feel your love so much. And I just don't feel like I should be privy to this much of it. <laughs> Like, maybe I don't deserve to see so much of it. I know. I had the weirdest reaction to this movie because, like, I just, I just, like, it's, it's so it's like, it's too pure. Like, put it away. Like, I am not worthy of laying witness to the things that are happening right now. The only part that I had, like, what I would say, like, an actual, like, constructed issue with is, is the scene where they, they have sex for the first time. Because it was just like, it took the the kind of like understandable like melodramatic beauty and romance and swooniness and like cranked it to seventeen, and I was just I was almost impatient. I was like, "This, I get it. Like, please start undressing faster. <laughs> like, I can't deal with this right now." Um, so yeah, this movie, like, if I were to give scores like acting 10 writing 10 editing 10 directing 10 cinematography 10 score 10 enjoyment <laughs> like but my actual enjoyment with it is probably like a seven <laughs> that's pretty high honestly that's, I, it's, still high. it's probably <laughs> it's probably actually like a six like i just you know and 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 it's weird that like the kind of there's the this is a horrible that I'm saying this is a modern film critic. There's the the famous gif that you'll see from Moonlight that is the clip of Andre Holland like standing in front of the brick wall and smoking. Yeah. And like the coolest motherfucker in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they give a moment like that in this movie to the racist cop who lies about Fani. Yep, <laughs> and I was just like, I know Ed Screen's got cheekbones, but like, what am I to gain from this loving, like, living street photography portrait of him? And um, 
so that that's that was weird to me but like it it is it is like i just the, the everything is too much and it's not for me but like would i tell people to watch this like hell yeah like everyone should see this movie <laughs> because i guess what? i assume everyone's heart works better than mine no i i, I think that you're you're getting at something really interesting there, though, Brian. I, I, I will say that there was a very controversial New Yorker piece that I can't remember the author, but it was something on the lines of uh, Beale Street is too beautiful. And I, I think that there is something – not necessarily that I believe that it's too beautiful, but rather I, I think that this film made me think about what it means for – films to be literary and cinematic in a way that I haven't with a lot of adaptations. I feel like a lot of adaptations we talk about, and I'm generalizing here, but like you run into, okay, how did this, you know, transpose the text? Does it feel faithful? Does it feel like we got all of, you know, the plot points or when it comes to fandoms, it's like, what bullshit thing did you forget to put in here? (laughs) But like, but I, I I think there is something really interesting in what you're talking about with Beale Street. Like whether you do want to talk about Ed Skrine, like why does he get that moment? Like why? Because everybody why does. Why is – exactly. Like That's why true. is everything – like it is – it's weird because I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. But like uh, – sorry, Barry Jenkins obviously has like – such deep reverence for this text. Like it's so clear in how he stages every single dialogue scene and how he stages every single sequence in relation to the setting, in relation to these characters. Like it it does feel literary in, in a way that feels inaccurate to describe a lot of other adaptations and it's something i'm still kind of wrapping my head around but it nonetheless when you're describing what you were brian i I think that does get out get at a little bit why i feel like this movie like the dialogue pulsates in a way that i i just don't feel with with most things and and I, i think that's partly why it's just uh as more and more time has gone on, it's really stuck in my mind. Uh, so it's, New, the New Yorker uh, thing that you referenced, I believe, is can we trust the beauty of Barry Jenkins's If Beale Street Could Talk uh, by Doreen St. Felix? That is the one. Yes. Yeah. And Doreen's a wonderful writer. I, I know it It got a lot of critiques, but it's it's worth reading. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I meant to, I didn't mean to soapbox there. I was rather just saying like, I, I think there's something interesting to talk about here in terms of how to talk about this as an adaptation. Cause it doesn't feel like the average one to me. I would have to be more familiar with the James Baldwin text, to be honest with you, to, to follow up with any kind of conversation around that. But, um, no, I, I I think this is a legitimately like just if you want to talk about what modern filmmaking can be and how it can transform, whether it's a location or whether it's just the acting and everything around it. I think this is mm. this is definitely something to, to look at. Um, maybe it's it's too concentrated for for Brian, um, but Ultimately, I think this is definitely a, a standout um, in a year that 
for my money, had quite a few that were just game changers, whether it's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and The Favorite and even even The Star is Born, I feel like was just a revelation that like I saw something that I felt was ordinary and he took that and made it more than I thought it probably ever could be in mm. just about anybody else's hands and this this is the same thing it's it's taking what should be a relatively like there's nothing really extraordinary that's happening in this film that's a revelation except for the way it's made and the way it's done you know yeah i think that's a, a totally fair point and i was i was even thinking about this is like there's not that much that happens in this no. and i don't mean that i don't mean that as a as a as a knock at all just just rather like i this is the plotting and this is so actually spare like and in terms of you know so much of it is said in just the past and these memories that as brian was saying um brian did, are are you just now speechless after <laughs> After just, you know, uh, after Putting exercising the demons in your soul. Pulling these sugary spikes out of my heart and laying them down and just being like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not bleeding? Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's... I don't... I didn't read this novel. Um, I don't have a lot of time to read novels now that I have a child. Um, I, you know, I, I'm curious about it. I, I'd kind of like to... I I don't know. Like I said, it's going to be hard for me to talk about this movie because, like, there's so much about it that I admire and that I like. And um, on a wider, like, cultural level, I sort of love this, like, portrait of, like, the pure, like, beauty of a love between these two African Americans. And, like, I don't know. Like, it's... But and I'm I'm kind of curious to read this New Yorker article because the <laughs> you know I I just like you know watching this movie and saying to myself someone else must have felt the way that I felt and then seeing its stellar rating on Rotten Tomatoes and like I just almost became scared to read anything because I was suddenly realizing that like I'm not a real boy and I don't want the <laughs> illusion of my humanity to be shattered further. Um, I don't know. It's. It is one of those things where, like, part of me was wondering, like, is this, like, considering what the movie is about, um, which is not just the love story between these two, but also, like, a frank discussion of of racism, you know, textually set in the 1970s, but, like, really probably not much changed since then. Mm -hmm. I was like, is it is it wrong to have the previous times be this beautiful, like, would it be interesting to begin with that level of beauty and then to, like, maybe leech some of it away as, like, the reality of what's happening and how sure. it's not something that's just happened to them, but something that's, like, been waiting in the wings of America to descend on them has always been there. And then there's part of me that's like, man, you know, like, it's a... It's a it's a romance. It's a swooning melodramatic romance, you know. And and I'm not saying melodramatic as a pejorative. Like that is sure. a legitimate genre that you know many like historically famous directors and actors and actresses have come up through. And like, isn't it nice to kind of issue a corrective to like the whiteness of that genre through this film? Sure. 
and like you know i'm a i'm a i'm an irish italian mexican you know white guy so like it's probably not for me to say i like on a general societal level i'm sure that like i would say that and everyone would be like yes yes it is but like i can't i don't feel like i can investigate it so all i can really go on is my personal reaction to the movie which again to go back to the cupcake metaphor was just (laughs) holy god like this is great but there's too much of all of it and i can't I can't possibly have this. And it's uh it's weird. It's a weird it's a weird uh, situation to go through. Does it make you curious about Moonlight again? Sort of, but you would like when in your initial statements you were like, you know, the the blankness of Moonlight. And I almost feel like Moonlight has more of that victimization narrative that kind of puts me off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I will say that like despite like I I read the log line of the New Yorker article and it says that uh, Tish and Fanny are gorgeous in an abstracted mythological sense, as if they he were the first man and she the first woman on earth, and that is one hundred percent true. But I still feel them as characters who do things, and in sure. Moonlight it really felt like the character was someone who had things done to him. Mm-hmm. And while that can be something that, that is, that's true, that there are many people who life, you know, treats as their personal punching bag. There should be some further interior drive motivating them. Uh, this well, is sort I of th- the I same think- issue that I had with Ladybird, If you recall, Michael, in our conversation, sure. um, but in this movie, I felt the inherent humanity of these people a lot more because like Fonny has like his whole sculpture thing that he wants to do. Um, he's clearly, you know, specifically in love with Tish, but in a very specific way, like their actions together don't feel like he's just being a romantic. It feels like he is like giving her romance and, you know, they even – like, one of the first things you learn about him is that, like, he went to a vocational school, dropped out, stole a bunch of shit. Like, that's – that's, like, good character building. It shows that, like, he's not a sainted angel. Like, he's he's a guy who's living in this environment who does what he has to. And I liked that. And the same can be said of, like, their fathers. Sure. And so I felt a little more specificity – in these characters that I assume comes a lot from the book, but you know, Jenkins is the writer of this film. And so he decided to keep that. He decided what to highlight, you know, after showing us Fawny in jail, it would be very easy to try to paint him as someone who never did anything wrong before, but we get to see his, his, um, what is the word that I am looking for? His like situational opportunistic thieving, and sure. his kind of like wide-eyed idealism and his distrust and his anger and you get to feel it understand it so like i just feel like yeah. th- these characters are a lot more full and realized than um than the main character of moonlight was and so like part of me is like maybe it could go back to moonlight but i feel like this is closer to what i'd be able to handle than moonlight was like i feel like a lot of my problems with moonlight would persist and that this movie actually would highlight them more. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, uh, 
Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I think there's I, – I guess obviously some of what you're saying is that the victimiza- victimization, I think that gets a little bit dangerous in describing some things and in right. like saying victimization like negates agency and things like that. But I, I think there is – I think there is some understanding that while Lady Bird and Moonlight are extremely different, I can still somewhat understand uh, a certain. Yeah, it's, it's not a perfect comparison. A, a certain like passivity, even if they are uh, used as as devices in very very different ways. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I I think I was asking like, that because I think there's something. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very interesting to me to, uh, it, you know, it's not just the beauty, but like using the cupcake metaphor, like so if you if you want to you know distill that down, we use you know we call things treacly, we call things too sentimental, and it's it's often uh, attributed to unfortunately it's attributed to a lot of bad romantic comedies it's attributed to bad a lot of bad romances things that go for big swings and completely miss so it's it's just interesting uh that we're using that metaphor when it, it does seem to have kind of another use in in criticism and i'm not saying what what you're saying doesn't make sense <laughs> but i still just find it uh I still just find it interesting to look at this in this way, but also say that it feels so honest because in some way the sugary sweetness we're talking about seems like very much an antidote (laughs) to that honesty that we're talking about. And I feel like they work more in concert than against each other. But that's just my view. But maybe that's what I'm wondering. Like I, I guess I'm trying to get a little bit more. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get you to fight me, Brian. Fight me, Brian. <laughs> but Tell like me I said, about why this doesn't work? <laughs> like I said, it, it's it, like this is gonna. It's totally my fault. I think is the problem. Like this it's, is no fun. <laughs> I, okay, so like not to relitigate Moonlight, but I so sure. now that we now that we're talking about these two movies, I think that this might be something that is a a feeling of Barry Jenkins's. Um, a very different writer on Moonlight as well. Uh, yeah yeah. but so so what what happened is like in both of these movies you have a love that is pure in both emotion and um sex i guess because uh chiron you know despite his obvious feelings has never been with a man by the time that he he goes and sees Andre Holland again. And in this movie, uh, you know, Fani is Tish's first time. And it's um and and in both situations, they're both lovers who have known each other since like childhood. And so it's interesting to me that Barry Jenkins has obviously some kind of draw to this idea of like a lifelong love that grows from like just childhood friendship and innocence into like a passion that consumes you and drives you. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't seen his, his other film, uh, which Michael talked about earlier, but that is, that is interesting to me. It's, it's curious almost. And, and in moonlight, I found that that made Chiron a little bit of 
almost like a fairy tale figure. Um, hmm. Almost like, you know, I don't know, like the, a the prince who falls line. in love with a yes. princess and never touches anyone else because they just live for that person. Like Chiron doesn't seem to sexually mature until he is able to go back and be with the man who who gave him his like one experience as a boy. The, um, the one thing that I think is a little bit difficult about that is like it implies that he didn't try like it, it doesn't. It doesn't acknowledge that like he felt so stunted and maybe tried to be with women, maybe tried to be with other people and was mm. unable to do it. Like I think that's the that's the thing that's – oh, I did not mean to relitigate Moonlight. <laughs> it's just um, – You know, I was just yeah. drawing a – you know, what no, I, I think I, is I think like right. a yeah. – it's a through line between the two movies. Yes, I, I would agree. Yes. And – you know, again, this might just be a totally this is my problem thing, but that's such a that's such a sweet, idealistic. Like again, like I, I keep saying swooningly romantic, like I'm the poster for this movie or something. <laughs> but like, it's such a a melodramatic. Again, not in a bad way. Any listeners who might think that I'm saying sure. that cruelly, it's such a thing that I just like it. It. <sighs> it makes them become less actual human beings to me just because I don't know that that's how humans work. Um, yeah, like I, you know, but, but again, like I watched this movie and I found it a little easier to deal with because it was very clear that they had been together all of that time, you know, like, mm -hmm. they were best friends. They did hang out all the time. And then one day it finally clicked like, Oh shit, we're in love. You know, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, so that worked for me. And like, so I'm, there's not a point where I'm going to, you're going to get me to say something like this romance is unrealistic or she would never wait for him. Like, <laughs> I feel that everything that they're doing is in the emotional reality of this movie and the story it's telling. And it's just, it, but like I said, like, it's like a, it's like a, I'm a surfer who just got like taken down by an awesome wave. And, like, for the moments where I was, like, upright on my board, I was having a ball. But then once the wave took me down, I was, like, I am under the thumb of nature and just must let this happen to me. <laughs> so you drowned and died during this movie. I didn't say that the surfer died. <laughs> I, I got to the surface again at some okay. point. <laughs> Bill, do you have anything to add to that? I'm I'm not following I'm not chasing down this rabbit hole. Y'all are y'all y'all have gone deep. Deep, deep, deep. Yeah, because like you know, again, it's I appreciate you trying to make me more of a part of this conversation. Um, as we stand before the spoiler section where maybe we get into more plot stuff. But um What is yeah. love, man? Yeah, like in general, like I just I can't I can't, I won't be able to argue with you because Again, I said I would give almost all the independent parts of this movie like a full-on 10 out of 10. I didn't think there'd ever be a movie that would make me almost cheer for a man slapping his wife. Oh, yes. And yet here we stand. Please don't make that the uh, audio clip that you <laughs> released. <from> <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, that like Bill said, like that scene in isolation, like is good enough to like be an Academy Award contender, you know, 
everyone in that scene is amazing. It's great to see Dawn from Mad Men in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it was like, you know, just watching that, I was like, yeah, there is obvious talent here. And like, I never said in the past that Barry Jenkins was without talent. You know, it, it's just harder to like look at this and be like, ah, oh, perfect, perfect. I don't like it. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's something that goes so far against me because I'll watch <laughs> movies that I have like moral, political, philosophical, and ethical issues with. And like, only once has that really torpedoed my opinion of a film. And we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to say the name. But it's so weird to watch a movie that I am 100% on board with <laughs> and still come out of it and be like, yeah, I didn't like that. That was, that was, more, that was rough. Too much. Too much. All right. All right. <laughs> And I, even as I was done, I was like, I wonder if it would have been easier for me if, like, all of the flashbacks had just happened in chronological order. You know, like, huh. part mm-hmm. of me wondered, mm-hmm. like, what if it, like, what if instead of like a cupcake, it was an apple with a lot of frosting on top of it, and then I got through all the frosting, and I was like, oh, here's the apple. I can finally feel <laughs> like I'm grounded again. A, a, a caramel apple. Yeah, like once you once you take all the bites on the outside of the caramel apple, you still got an apple under there. So you could be yep, like, yep. oh, okay, here we go. Yep, you needed yeah. some veggies. <laughs> no, that's a fruit, bro. <laughs> that's a fruit. But no, I'm I, saying I, you I, needed you needed veggies w- with this. Like you, you needed a long like legal conversation or something. Right. Like something I don't just. Like, you know, I, I watched I watched another movie that I actually want to talk about at the end of this podcast because like, I. There was a part of me that was like, I feel like I'm not going to have a lot to say. I feel like I'm going to have a really weird take on this movie. I should I should put up these other two movies that I really liked that I saw just to be like, I am not dead. I have stuff that I really liked. But then I was like, no, this movie's too – it's like too important and too – like well made and good like this is a good movie let's 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 talk now about maybe some of the things that it was nominated for some of the things that it ultimately didn't end uh end up winning uh let's talk about like the release of this film and how it was fucking hard to find i am um, to that yeah. end bill i i went on when i went on imdb to be like oh i need to see if this is max richter i was shocked to find that it is in three movie theaters around me really because i thought this it came out have... in like december I, I thought it had a late uh christmas release if i was pretty pretty uh, or i'm pretty confident about that it was yeah, right it, around it christmas. came out on christmas yeah yes and I think it was a slow rollout as well. Yes. Was this uh is this A24 who or this no, is this Annapurna. is Annapurna. Yes, yeah, Annapurna. But, which is a very who's, discordant who's, opening title card. Who's uh distributing it though? Oh, I don't know. Is it A24? No. No, A24 it's, had nothing uh, to do with this. Cuz I know I know you uh, sometimes they they partner up and that's what's some of my confusion initially with those two companies. Not not the least of which that both of them start with A and my goldfish brain is like, they're the same, maybe? Because they and both make like, really good movies that I like? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so the production companies uh, were Annapurna, Pastel, and Plan B, and the distributors in the U.S. were Annapurna. Annapurna. Okay, interesting. I think Plan B is actually uh, Brad Pitt's, isn't it? 
Yes, he is yes. a producer on this. And he he was he was like congratulated at the Oscars for like several different movies. Yeah. It was just like Jesus Christ, Plan B is just out there doing its thing. Who knows how much money that actually you know means? But I guess maybe. I sometimes I, wonder I if he's more of like a talent producer, you know, like sure, he's got connections. Sure. He he puts names. Yeah. He puts yeah. names and, and, you know, make sure people, people shake hands. So. Yeah. Give um, James Grace some money. <laughs> yes, yeah. he did. Uh, anyways. So yeah, sorry, this, this film, I don't feel like I, I saw a lot of people that either a knew about it or were like excited about it. And to be honest, to be fair, it's hard to sell this film without yeah. it feeling treacly and without it feeling like like it was going to be. And they actually did a really I think they did a disservice to it because they made it seem like it was going to be these weird artistic kind of head up your ass sequences and there's only like one or two sequences like that there's there's a train sequence that happens where you see uh finey like running up and like shaking shaking the rails um there's like one or two other sequences like that but everything else is just like super naturalistic and it's just like I don't I, I mean I hesitate to say ordinary, but like it's ordinary. Like and they sold it as this weird po- poem type of movie. And I think that was the wrong way to go about it's it. It's interesting um, that you say that because as you were talking, I was like, you know, what did I even see that was like for this movie? And I don't feel like I saw a single trailer. And I know I've seen the poster and stuff, but like the things that I feel like I've seen the most for it were like TV commercials and maybe yeah. like radio ads. And like, cause I just, I, I know that like I have heard like announcer voice saying like, if Beale street could talk like from the award-winning director of moonlight, like things like that. And like, it really sold it as like, this is a like hardcore, like Nicholas Sparksian romance and, like, all of the publicity stuff for it that I saw was, like, you know, the golden hues and, like, the the sort of Bob Dylan-esque, like, them walking down the street together. And uh-huh. um, Regina King, like, as, weirdly enough. So, like, not having seen this movie until this weekend, I um, I I had, like, no context for most of the images that I saw from this movie. And so, like... When Regina King lands in Puerto Rico and is like walking under like the overhang, sure. I was like, that's the picture that they've been using for all of her for your consideration ads? Mm-hmm. Like, is it because she's doing the Barry Jenkins staring into the camera with like a face of awe and wonder type of thing? Or what? Because like that is an image that I associate most with this movie, and it has the least to do with the actual like sure. language and and really even plot of this movie. And so it is weird to me how like Moonlight was inescapable to the point that I like almost dreaded going to see it. Cause I was like, I have been bludgeoned with this movie and if I don't like it, I'm going to hate myself. And this movie, I almost felt like, Hey guys, have you heard about like this little talkie called Moonlight? Like it's or, uh, if Beale Street could talk, like 
it didn't get a big release and no one really said anything about it it's um it was really weird just to think about that and like i said like i figured that like there was part of me that was worried that i'd lost my screener and i was like but it must be to rent on itunes or something by now and then i was like oh no but it is still in theaters so yeah, it's yeah. it's super weird. I don't know. I don't know what they did with this movie. I know that someone, someone said on online, and I have no idea who it was, that their thought was that perhaps once Annapurna realized that like Vice was getting all the awards stuff, that they sort of pulled back on Beale Street because they're in financial trouble and they could only mm-hmm. really afford to back one of their horses. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Yeah, because this movie was only nominated for three things for the uh, Academy Awards. Best Adapted Screenplay, Barry Jenkins. Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Picture, Nicholas Bertelli. And Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. Which Mm -hmm. is insane. There should be so many more nominations for this movie (laughs) that I didn't even really like that much. Like... Like, I don't know, like, I think, like, there's, like, three other actors who deserve awards for this. I think that the cinematography definitely deserves an award. I think that the editing deserves an award. Why yeah. not sound mixing? Let's just give it that, too. Like, I don't know. Yeah, to be honest, the, the Regina King, I, and I do think she has, I, I do think she has one fantastic scene, or, or you know, I, she has a, you know, one where she really gets her moments. But I, I was really surprised that that's where the push was, uh, performer wise. I, I mean, especially considering that you know the main sequence we've been talking about, like that's all about you know Coleman Domingo and Tiona Paris, and like uh, those people are the ones who really like show a sense of. I like, you know, just uh, putting the camera in a trance like Mm. or or Brian Tyree Henry, for that matter, who just gets like one of the longest monologues in the film. It's just really interesting to me and also a little bit depressing. One of these days, Brian Tyree Henry is going to win an award. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, he's still early in his career. Just I'm sure it'll be for child's play, obviously. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, the Regina King thing, it it is it's really weird to me. Like, it it does feel very much like I think that's the awards choice, honestly. That's 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 just I think it's a it's an indication of how few people actually ended up seeing this movie. I really do. I think. I think Vice got in front of a lot of people because Vice is, you know, they sold it really well. Uh, they sold it as this kind of poppy, like fun uh, biopic, and it's yeah, like, oh yeah, awesome yeah, awesome trailer, yeah, and and everybody, yeah, like every every time that trailer played, like people were just like, oh yeah, 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 we're we're definitely gonna go see that, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then, you know, but this film, I just feel like it didn't have that same kind of buzz. And Moonlight had a lot more buzz around it. Sure. Um, which is interesting because it's it's a very different feel or different film altogether. Yeah. Um and it's a little, I would say, a little bit more arty than this one, and yet it's the one that that got all the attention and, and all the awards. And it's They're probably easier to to describe, honestly, like in terms of why it's unique. 
as opposed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Beale Street. Yeah. Right. Beale Street, I was going to say, sure. and, and this is something that we've talked about many, or you know, not only we, but like everyone seems to be talking about, like, I feel like in the mid nineties, this movie would have cleaned up, like just mm-hmm. made all the money. Like there would have been a huge push behind it. Um, maybe like these actors wouldn't be in it, but like, it would be something like, you know, Denzel Washington is funny. And like, it would, it would be stuff like that. Like to me would have done it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it's like, so Moonlight, you know, as we've said, is a, a smaller picture. So it has like more of an indie cred to it. And it's about, um, homosexuality, black masculinity, things like that, that make it feel like, a little important and like un untilled land, you know, a lot of fertile ground. And this movie is like, oh, it's like a sweeping melodramatic romance that takes place in the seventies, and like one of them's in jail. Like, and that should be like crack cocaine for every person out there who loves a doomed romance. <laughs> and yet, for whatever reason, it just didn't hit. And like Part of me is like, is it because, you know, it's it's uh, it's a movie, you know, seemingly explicitly for and about African-Americans? And I'm like, I just that feels really simplistic. Like, I feel like it's uh, that possibly also plus like being really poorly handled by Annapurna. Like, I just I just don't understand. Like, I feel like I, like everyone should be talking about this movie like. Again, as a person who probably wouldn't watch this again, I just feel like I should run into people all the time who are like, oh, like, give me a love like Tish and Fawny, you know, like, give me, give me that Mm -hmm. kind. I want someone to look at me the way that like Tish looks at Fawny and Fawny looks at Tish. And, and, you know, honestly, I want someone to look at me and my Tish and Fawny the way that uh, Franco looks at the two of them, like... I want I want that right, kind Brian. of I want that kind of crazy love. Like but instead people are just you like You want you want meme uh, like a star is born meme status for Beale Street is what you're saying. Sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? Pretty much. Like it's just it's it, you know because like I, I wasn't It should have dominated we gonna... December. What was that? Yeah. I said it should have dominated December for sure. Yeah. I think that I think that what this I think that this was a particularly crowded award season. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, how many people went and saw the mule? Like, remember when everyone was talking about the mule and then it came and people like, Oh God, that movie's out. Like, I think that this is a movie that probably could have played really well, like late summer Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, sort of like a star is born, you know, like that movie came out, right? Am I right about that? It came out pretty early. Yeah. Uh, star is born. I thought came out around October ish, maybe. Starsborn so. came out the 5th of October. So the first weekend in October. Yeah. Because, like, August and September are still sort of dead zones. But, yeah. But, like, yeah, you know, A Star is Born came out in, like, a fairly uncrowded time. Like, we didn't yep. really have a lot of options but to talk about A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. And here we are, and it's March, and we're only just now finally talking about Beale Street because a bunch of other stuff kept coming yeah. out. And it's... It kind of sucks to be this late on the uh, on the bandwagon because, again, like even though this movie isn't for me, this movie has a lot to it to recommend to the people who would like it. And I just feel like almost feel almost like it sucks that I didn't have that opportunity to like sing this movie's praises a little more and be a little more pissed off about its lack of award consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, 
Brian, would this have made your top 10? No, 100% not. <laughs> but, but like, it would have, it would have probably made your mentions. I don't even think it would have made my mentions, but here's what it would have done, Bill. It would have just rocked my awards consideration ballot for WAFCA, the Washington Area <laughs> Film Critics mm-hmm. Association. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Because no. as I as I have said multiple times now, so interesting. <laughs> there are many parts of this film that I'm like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. But like, you know, all your ingredients are perfect, but you couldn't pull it together on the plate. Or like, this is, uh, it's just too much. It's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much mm-hmm. sugar for me. But like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the all-star. It's the all-star team going to the Olympics. And you're just like, oh, and you got silver. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Uh, um, but like Brian Tyree Henry would have been supporting. Like Tish could have could have probably been one of my leads. Though my my leading women this year were real. The real women strong. this year were ridiculous. It was so. It was such oh a good year gosh. to be an actress in Hollywood. Um, I, I think that. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Stephen James could have made it to my uh, my lead actors. If do you think he counts as lead? Yeah. Because he's definitely like the lead male in this movie, but he is not a lead in this movie, maybe. He's better than 90% of the big leads we talked about this year. Yeah, it's true. I would have I would have just gone with it. <laughs> and like I said, the cinematography, the, the score, like all this stuff. Like I think I could listen to this score like while I was taking a run mm-hmm. and I'd love it. I think that on top of this movie, it felt a little much, but like it's still really good. <laughs> That main theme is just fantastic. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Okay. Again, um, maybe because it's I mean, got a little honestly, Max Richter in it, you know? I, do, I, don't, I mean, Mike, do you think we have a lot to discuss in in the spoiler section, or is this going to be relatively quick? No, I, I think this is going to be relatively quick. I, I was just going to say uh, the, like, pseudo-cameos, which I just didn't want to reveal before sure. spoilers let's let's go ahead and jump into it and, and just well, have we've some already fun talked about then... it's screen i mean who else <laughs> oh just you wait they're real divisive from what i've the conversations i've seen i i like one of them and don't like the other one uh so i i i, I kind of think the franco one works that scene is like that that scene's I mean, I like Tish. I like them lifting it. I like yeah. I like I like that play. I like that. Like, but what the fuck is he doing? There? What <laughs> like, is he oh, like? <laughs> what, okay, so I guess are we just gonna I say we're in spoilers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are yeah. Okay, great. So like, yeah, I um, I mean, not even that this is a spoiler, but yeah, like Dave Franco is in this movie <laughs> as like. A, a, a nice landlord. Jewish boy yeah. landlord who's like help who's trying to sell you know this couple this, this loft yeah. and he's um yeah he, he he's it's it's like the 70s and he seems like a guy who like is too late for the hippie movement but still likes some of its tenants and so he's gonna yeah, try to yeah. create a little space like his literal answer is like I just like people who are in love man and I'm like yeah that is exactly what fucking Dave Franco would say <laughs> but he's like also convincing about it, which is really that's, annoying. That's <laughs> yeah, what but, works but, about it, though. But the like, other thing is, is that's that's what like a serial killer says as well. <laughs> and you're just like, damn it, no, like like the message is there, but the the delivery or no the the 
is there, but the message just reads all wrong. <laughs> I'm just like, no, 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 no. This is serial killer language. Like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> it's just so weird because, like, Ed Screen shows up as a cop who's just like, yeah, instantly wants to murder this guy because he's black, and and meanwhile, Dave Franco shows up as a guy who instantly wants to help these people because uh, they're in love. And it's um, like I, I almost wasn't sure if like. If if we were supposed to think ill of Dave Franco's character, because he seemed so pandering, like blissfully unaware of the realities okay. of the world, like is he shielded by his like exterior whiteness so much? But he's wearing a yarmulke, <laughs> and like America, you know, has been kinder sure. to the Jews than many country, but is still not that kind. <laughs> though it is New we're, York, we're still pretty know. damn anti-Semitic. Come on, <laughs> and um. So it's it was weird. I was I was because I was sitting there. And I was like, I, you know, are they just gonna say like he only wants money because that's problematic? But then he's just like, you know, you two are clearly in love, and I I love people who are in love. And I was like, so are you are you just wandering the streets looking for couples that are dreamily holding hands and being like, so I've got <laughs> <Exactly>. this loft <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do y'all want to move in like you know like nowadays nowadays like there would be some cameras involved in that shit and you just be like oh no 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 but you know back then probably not but yeah that's it and there's no lot like walls in this loft and so he's just like yeah y'all, y'all just gonna make it right <laughs> right it's just like no man this is this is weird. It, it, like, it was. She, it was she's not. She's <laughs> kind of not having it. You know. It and was. I, I, I like, super endearing though when when they do lift the fridge yeah. and like Dave Franco's like laughing and having a good time and I don't know. I like I like, I like his his little yeah. bit of like why am I lift why am I straining more than you? <laughs> he is a generous scene partner in improv. Like oh, yeah. what you don't know is that that character goes to improv twice a week <laughs> it's called home improvement mm-hmm. oh. Oh, it's a two drink minimum um <clears throat> other cameos uh diego luna pedro, I, I think pedro pascal as fucking scarface is it's pretty bad too i didn't like, know I, what I, I was going on there bad. yeah what was I, the, I don't get that i you know it's weird because like i said that almost all the stuff in um in the present tense really worked for me. It was hard for me to like grasp onto what was happening, like why we went to Puerto Rico. I mean, I guess to talk to her, to hopefully bring her back to the States to then have to basically confess that, that she didn't ultimately see Alfonso, but like, man, that, that goes sideways real quick. It's actually Alonzo. Wait, Alonzo. Alfonso, Alonzo, yeah, Alonzo sounds right. Sounds right. It's just Alfonso weird because Bonnie yes, is Alonzo. what you expect too, Alfonso. Yeah. Uh, too Italian. Alfonso's too Italian. Alonzo, yeah, yeah, Alonzo. yeah. That makes sense. Um. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, she's she's just there to hopefully convince her to come back, and like all of that situation is just nightmare fuel because, like, and and I think it's it's. And why can't I remember her name? Um, the uh, Al- Alonzo's uh, girlfriend, fiance, uh, Tish. Tish. Uh, Tish even asked her sister at that diner. She's like, "Do you think she actually got raped?" And yeah, and her sister's like, "Whoa!" Like, I understand that 
your you know your fiance is in jail but that's that's maybe a step too far and i like that they like give that consideration to even someone that they're like she's framing my my boyfriend my son my brother you know whatever and still they're like but we have to actually respect that like more than likely something happened to her yeah you know? yeah and so yeah and, i think maybe you know that makes sense going to puerto rico gives her a moment to like be clearly under a lot of stress and distress and mm-hmm. give her a side of the story but it just it, think- it it felt weird because it was they kept going back to all this this stuff and like it it pays out in the end and in, in the way that the movie wraps up where it's like look we could have kept fighting but like his trial kept getting delayed so like so many sure. people he pled out because he just wanted it to be over with and for the clock to start mm-hmm there is and, um, something very interesting. Like, Brian, you do hit on something interesting, though, in the sense that, like, going back and forth between her and Puerto Rico and them at home and them, like, waiting for her to come back, that whole thing kind of plays, like, the third act of, like, a legal procedural mm-hmm. where they're trying to get, like, that smoking gun piece of evidence. Like, that does very much have that, like, that certain uh, ticking clock feel. Well, so even it, it even so like interesting, yeah. e- even like the glossing over of like, um, w- what's his face? Uh, God, I can't remember anybody's fucking name, but the lawyer in this movie, when like she's doing the voiceover and talking about like him going to all these meetings and things like that, and seeing the way that like he probably worked within the system and everybody shook his hand and was very nice and like cooperative. And then now that he's like working has a client that isn't necessarily going to work inside that system, all of a sudden he ends up getting a lot of side eyes and Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, all of that stuff plays out like what you would kind of expect in a legal procedural, you know, you're right. If all of that is like, I won't call it vestigial because it still has its part in this movie, but like from the book, Maybe like sure. there's a little more going on there. Like maybe we would have spent sure. more time it's, with it's Hayward, got, the lawyer. Got, yeah, and I mean this film is very tight and very like lean. Um, it is, I think, uh, what like an hour and f- fifty minute runtime. Like it's less than two hours for sure. I think it's like yes. just under two hours. Like literally a minute under two. Hour hours. and fifty nine. Yeah. So I mean, it is a very spare and like. It moves. You know, yeah. Yeah. It, it moves. It's got a lot of propulsion behind it. And yeah, I, I mean, they, they have their star sequences, but they're even smart about like breaking up the tension of those sequences because like the main family, like dinner sequence is broken up into two parts, you know? Um, yeah. it has, it has this building of tension and then it, cuts away i think to a different timeline and then it cuts back and then we've seen that tension just snap and so i think the brian tyree henry is also broken up a little bit obviously between the time they enter yeah. the door and then the time that tish comes back to start to make them dinner i think yes. you know definitely there's been some scene changes at that point as well so like he's so intelligent about like 
let's give them a 10 minute sequence, but let's break it up into five minute chunks and let that intensity just kind of boil over while you wait. So I think he's very intelligent about like how he breaks that stuff up, Mm -hmm. which, which is unfortunate because then it jumps around in the time. And for some people that's, you know, maybe, maybe a step too far. Maybe I am. There's a part of me that wonders if, you know, I, I, again, a novel is always going to be a much different beast than a film. A novel, you can thread a lot more ideas and thoughts in, and the movie is clearly illustrating a systemic problem in this in this community brought about by like you know uh inherently racist system and i wonder if that would have like landed better if they had trimmed back some of the gauzy like recollection stuff but then i i wonder if if that would have then just made it like kind of insufferable because it's another like you know, it's another it's another narrative of like uh, people being crushed by a system instead of two people who are in love who their love, you know, conquers or at least exists and continues to thrive within this system. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I'm almost certain that if I read the book, I'd be like, this book is a masterpiece. Wonderful. Oh, my God. And seeing this movie, I just have too many, too many, too many issues with how beautiful and earnest it is because i'm a monster like it's weird because you know thinking of other movies that have gone that like hard into like loss and longing and love you know again arrival springs to mind but that has the science fiction veneer of like this interesting intellectual problem on top of the the soulful like issue that is at the heart of it that you don't realize until the end and so i can like i can shield myself with the analytical (laughs) part um and you know manchester by the sea you get a lot of uncomfortable a lot of uncomfortable emotional stuff but it's about a person who feels like guilt like guilt is his emotion and i guess i can handle that better but for some yeah. reason, straight up love, too much. Straight up love, yes. Yeah, like <laughs> even straight even, up love. <laughs> even what's weird, like if it were about like like this is gonna sound nuts. If he died, like in a car crash or something, and she was just like looking back on a love that no longer exists, like maybe that even would have been easier. But like, <laughs> active, you're a masochist. Active you are a masochist. continuing Absolute love masochist. is just apparently real <laughs> difficult for me. Uh, he's because in again, jail just, at the end. <laughs> what was that? He's in jail at the end. It's a, you're you don't get your happy ending. There's no happy ending for I mean, you. <laughs> he took a plea. He's going to be out. They're clearly waiting. And like you know, his son is older now. And and uh, what was the thing that the son handed over? And she said like he keeps writing it ever since I told him. I don't know. And and Erica asked me about that, and I was like, I don't know, baby. I don't want to rewind it and just to find out that I feel like I feel like I I wasn't clear on that and I feel like the film was trying to make sure that I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, I'm not sure we know, but I don't remember. First of all, Bill, <laughs> we just talked about how much I don't like other people's love. So <laughs> <laughs> saying baby is is a little rough. Um <laughs> 
I think that I think that there's an implication that like you know the 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 child knows like that his dad is getting out maybe not soon but like at some point you know clearly he's not you know spending life in prison and so there's something there so like it's not a happy ending like I said but there is a kind of strength in the continuation of like their family unit and their mm-hmm. love even though he is in jail you know and like he is clearly much healthier at the end than when we like saw him during all their visits while he was just in holding pending trial. Okay, uh, confession time. Did anybody else think <laughs> that that was uh, him as a little boy when they first showed the kid? Because I definitely thought that was him as a little boy. And I was like, whoa, they nailed it. And then I'm like, oh, that's his actual kid. Oh, I did okay. sort of because they they were showing the pictures of them like as children in the tub. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And yep. I think that we're supposed I think that's supposed to happen to you. I think that they are drawing sure. that parallel. But, but yeah, great casting for that. Yeah, child. that was it was freaky. It was freaky. I was like, oh, did they like juxtapose like maybe a picture of him when he was young and like put it on like like a, a small little actor and then i was like how would they animate <laughs> that, that they benjamin buttoned him yeah i was like i was like wait how would they like animate it though i was like that's probably yeah. a still photo and then and then i find out it's just like a an actor playing his kid and i'm just like no that's too good <laughs> a kid who also gets a slow motion straight down the barrel of the Glens smiling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes, he does. <laughs> All right. Three movies yeah. from now when like SNL is like making a parody of a Barry Jenkins film. It's just like when that like every time like some clever person on the internet does like, what if X was directed by Wes Anderson? Like the uh, the uh-huh. X-Men directed by Wes Anderson thing. Someone's going to do that for Barry Jenkins, and it's going to be nothing but a montage of people dreamily looking into a camera and smiling. With some damn good music behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so that is our review of If Beale Street Could Talk. (laughs) (laughs) A a fantastically made movie that I just could not connect with. I feel like something like this happened to me once before. It's not camera person. It was there was another movie where I was like, guys, everything about this is great and I just don't like it. <laughs> but um yeah, it's in it's impossible to deny the uh the skill of everyone involved. How so, how old is Barry Jenkins? I don't want to look it up. He's probably like not that much older than me and it's gonna make me feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you really can't handle. <laughs> oh no, he was born in seventy nine, so he's forty years old. Oh. Oh, but he was in the okay. Criterion Closet this year, so he's already accomplished more than I have. <laughs> he's accomplished more than any three of us ever will. Yes. <laughs> combined. But you're 40 now, Barry. Oh, no, he's still 39. Don't November 19th. 40. That's rude. He's still 39. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Aged him up a year. Anyway, um, as I said with Moonlight, again, really looking forward to what he does next. I feel like... It's going to hit for me one of these times. <laughs> and I am going to be so on board when it does. Send all your hate mail to Brian, please. This Bill isn't like I, Alex I, Ross I Perry, where I'm like, nope, I'm done. He's dead to me. Like, Barry Jenkins, again, clearly has skill that connects with other people that I get. I just don't feel. 
And maybe, and it, I don't ever have to, you know, if it's working for you, then that's what matters. But I cannot wait for the movie that he makes that I love. This is, this is art, man. Like, like it, it doesn't have to be for everybody. And, yeah. and you don't always have to be like, Hey, 10 for 10, you know? So what yeah, if you like, like her smell more than this, Brian? I don't know. How that would <laughs> no, Jesus. That would, I would kill myself. I would write a letter to my Jesus. daughter and then I would kill myself. <laughs> all right mike oh, asking right. the good good probing questions congratulations mike we uh, we ended Thank the podcast mike. i am not responsible <laughs> for anything that happens michael uh, will receive uh, a full i'm gonna at michael on twitter and just be like hey buddy about to kill myself thanks for that <laughs> um I really hope we can get Alex Ross Perry as a guest. Alex Ross Perry, please come on the podcast. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> I've heard him on other podcasts. He seems like a very intelligent person. I'd probably love to talk movies with him, but like, I just don't like his stuff. You'd like to talk movies with him, but not his movies. No. Movies. I feel like that would be real awkward. <laughs> I've made the joke before where, like, if I ever had to interview him, I'd just be like, Alex, why don't I like your stuff? <laughs> Not a great way to start your, your interview, but but at least it would it would break the monotony. I'm sure he would enjoy it because it would break the monotony of all the questions that he normally gets. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else comes in. Alex, love your stuff. Oh, my God. You're so great. Like, oh, your new movie. Fantastic. And I would just come in and be like. I haven't liked a single goddamn thing you've made. I want yeah, to I've examine seen like that. Four of them. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and he's like to his publicist, uh, clear out an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ten years we're, down we're the line, the I have written right a literal now. book on Alex Ross Perry. <laughs> he and I are best friends, <laughs> and I still will not watch. Don't one like of his movies. movies. <laughs> anyway, um. I wanted to I wanted to take a brief sec to talk about two movies that I watched over the weekend. This will not take long. Don't worry, guys. Um, the first is a documentary called Behind the Curve. It's on Netflix now. Anyone who listens to this show knows that for whatever reason, I have become obsessed with the flat earth theory and the people who adhere to it as oh though it were God. true. <laughs> Behind the Curve is a movie about those people. It is a documentary that follows a number of flat earth people, one of whom... <laughs> is the guy who made the first Flat Earth documentary I ever watched on YouTube. I watched it, thought it was, like, hilarious, and and turned it off and, like, was just like, guys, you'll never believe what I just saw. But apparently he's, like, one of the main people responsible for the flood of Flat Earth adherence that we have now. So that was super weird. Um, I will say that the movie is actually a very interesting humanist portrait of these people. And it... It has moments where it kind of looks down on them, but not hard and not purely because of the way that they think. And that it's actually a very interesting movie that has something to say about, like, finding the virtue in people who disagree with you and the best ways to, like, interface with them. Um, so if you're, if you're curious about the Flat Earth Theory... Uh, this movie won't tell you about it and like help you to understand it, but it will help you to understand the people who believe it. Uh, again, that's behind the curve. It's on Netflix now, so check it out. 
I, I can't believe you just gave a unqualified rave to a flat earth documentary, but you didn't like if Beale Street. It's could not talk. a flat earth documentary. <laughs> it's a documentary about flat earthers. Um <laughs> And again, no one in that like. no one in that documentary was in love, so obviously I was able to watch it better. Um another movie that I saw that I wanted to give a shout out to is uh The Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Um, it is a fantastic movie. It's got my boy James Badge Dale in it, whom we all love. And it's also got like a bunch of other great character actors like Patrick Fischler, uh, Brian Garrity and, uh, Gene Jones. And it is about a group of militiamen who bear, who, who like cordon themselves off in a lumber yard after one of their ranks shoots up a police officer's funeral because they're trying to figure out who it was that did it so that they can give them over to the cops so that their cell isn't busted up. And James Badgedale plays a former cop who is charged with like leading the interrogations of these men. And it is a really well-written, really smartly directed and really well-acted little like Reservoir Dogs meets House of Games type movie. So if you're looking for something to watch that is the complete and utter opposite of if Beale Street could talk, check out The Standoff at Sparrow Creek. It is available on streaming platforms now, and it uh, came out very limited theatrically in January. There is no love in it as well. No, there's not. (laughs) There's very even little like friendly regard in that movie. It's really really dark. Um, This is the type of movie that like, I don't know. Like, I, if we had known about it earlier, I maybe would have forced us to do a review of it because I'm I I would be super curious to know what other people think of it. So it's guaranteed I won't like it, and we'll fight about it then. I don't know. I think I don't know because you like Mammoth, right? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe you would hate it then. I don't know. I found it to be very good, Bill. You'll be interested to know it is an hour and twenty eight minutes. Oh. <laughs> And again, James Badgedale is one of our favorite actors on this podcast. And uh, so anything that I get to see him be the main character in, super great for me. So yeah, three great movies that we've talked about. Check any of them out. Each of them offering a different flavor for everyone involved. But that is... Oh, Bill, were you going to say something? Yes. uh, So you have seen Rubicon, right? No, I haven't. I don't. How what? do I see Rubicon's it? awesome. I you want to, to see because Rubicon. my boy's is, in it. That is such a weird. Yeah. It's such a fucking weird show that has like no right to ever have been made. And it got made and it's great. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's fucking weird, though. Like it's it's such a strange little. Yeah. Was, was that a- on AMC? AMC? Yes, yes, AMC, and that was that was right around when you know Mad Men, was wasn't big. it? Yeah, and Breaking so Bad, was, I think. Yeah, and so it was right when they were just like fucking taking chances and doing weird shit, and that's that was one of their film or shows, and I think it lasted like all of like two seasons or something like that. Maybe maybe only one, but no, I think it's only one. Bill. That was yeah. the one that came out the year after The Prisoner, right? With J- Jim Caviezel, I think so. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, I um, yeah. I I've really that, wanted to you, see. You Rubicon. need to you need to see that. You I will see that. Figure out how to do that. Maybe it's on the AMC app. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. 
Hopefully. I don't know, because some of those places, they're like, eh, nobody watched this. We're never going to stream it. We're not going <laughs> to yeah, waste know, the bandwidth. I, I, I know how that is. Yeah, for sure. It's a sad state of affairs. Um, But anyway, yeah, uh, just wanted to shout those out because they're really good, and anyone can go see them right now by just going online. Um, And if you do watch Sparrow Creek, hit me up, because I'm dying to talk about that movie with someone. That is it for today, though. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week when we are talking about Captain Marvel? Is that next week? (laughs) I don't know, actually. That's a yeah, good no, question. it is. It is. I'm Especially. going to the. Uh, I'm going to be writing the review of Captain Marvel oh, on the film stage. Okay. Well, okay. Right. <laughs> wow. Uh, I know that Michael really doesn't want to do no, any of, more Marvel movies. Of the two superhero movies, I'm more inclined to do that one than Endgame or Shazam. Yeah. And. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just gave Michael just a brain aneurysm. <laughs> I am I am curious about Captain Marvel, and I would like us to talk about it because Brie Larson is leading it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Who I love. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn direct- is also in it. Who the directors have done some interesting stuff as well. Right. And we talked about Half Nelson like a week ago. We did. We did. And so here we are. So probably doing Captain Marvel, even though I fear now that Michael may die. Although we have to do uh, Climax sometimes, too. Do we? (laughs) We definitely do. Jordan Raup, our benevolent lord and master. (laughs) I was just going to be like super vague, being like, somebody. (laughs) Somebody out there told us it was, quote, historically bad, end quote. But a lot of people think it's the best movie of the year. So, what you going to do? Clearly, those people did not see Alita Battle Angel. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Next week, we're coming at you with our review of Captain Marvel. Maybe we'll have a guest on for that. Um, We will do another classic episode. Probably not this week, but definitely soon. Um, We have some ideas in the hopper. If you have any suggestions for us, of course, reach out at uh, Film Stage Show on Twitter. The Film Stage Show on Facebook or email us podcast at thefilmstage.com. If you email us with like 500 words about why you think we need to talk about your classic film choice, odds are we will do it because that is a level of commitment that we cannot ignore. So you are encouraging people to berate us. I was going to say, like, give us an essay about why you think a movie is important. But, you know, if you think that that counts as berating us, is that what you think of our listeners? That if I say, tell us why we should see a movie, they're going to be like, you fucking idiots. (laughs) You need to talk about the original Jurassic Park. (laughs) (sighs) Except they wouldn't be that nice. Michael is very down on humanity. Um, Anyway, don't forget that we are brought to you by Movie. Go to movie.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. You can check out their What is an Auteur series, which currently has Christian Petzold. And uh, like I said, the Buy NWR is, uh, is a really weird, really interesting <laughs> thing. Watch it with your windows closed. Literally, I was reading some of the like the their, their write-ups of some of these things, and they said... Um, when this movie was released, and I don't remember which movie it was, they said it was for the raincoat crowd. 
What? It's a slang Excuse term me? for people who used to go to porn theaters, Bill. <laughs> oh, no. Go in a raincoat. Anyway, again, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Also, don't forget to go to the Filmstage uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash show to give us your money. That's the type of stuff that helps us to create even more great classic episodes for you to enjoy. Also gets you access to our Slack channel where you can berate us, Michael. And it gets you a bunch of great little raffle stuff, too. As I said, we gave away copies of Widows and Burning. So if you'd like to get your hands on something like that, become a patron. Keep your ears peeled. You can get first dibs on our raffles. Uh, But that is it for today. So let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. Woo. You can find me online searching out and sorting by Netflix two hour or less movies on Twitter at CableBFG. Uh, you can also find me on the Slack channel, just mixing it up there. All right, Michael Snydell. You can find me watching as many movies about love as I can <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> at, at Snydell and uh, on Letterboxd, where I'm watching things and tweeting. I don't know, I've been tweeting reactions to things I watched. So maybe I'll keep doing that. Michael Snydell <laughs> just being like, Squirrel just took a bagel out of the trash. Fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me trying to work out the perfect ratio of cupcake to icing on Twitter <laughs> at Brian J. Rowan. My personal site, dearfilm.net, brianjrowan.com. As I said, I will be writing the film stage review of Captain Marvel. So keep your eyes out for that. That'll be at filmstage.com where you can also find all of these episodes. And uh, we will be podcasting about that next week. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Winding your way down on Baker Street, lighting your